0: Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by Coach Me Plus. Coach Me Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, Coach Me Plus' ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today guys, we are going to sit down and talk force plates and the force stick software with Daniel Martinez. And guys, this is some absolutely killer stuff. We're going to start out talking with Daniel about the direction uh, that, you know, looking at force plates can drive decision making for coaches and get into how some coaches himself included have had some really good success using the data that's given to them through the technology to drive training. Uh, you know we then get into talking about recommendations where coaches can start to look at data and then start talking about how important the eccentric contraction is in jumping and the evaluation that the the software provides and, and what that can tell you and how it can help you kind of distinguish different things with your athletes you know we then start talking about asymmetries and return to plate protocols which is really clutch with what they're providing at 4Stacks and some really awesome stuff you know and then we talk about to, to finish out guys we're going to talk about what questions he asks coaches who are looking to start with the the tech and how this drives his ability to help with education and, and teaching and all of those things it's really an awesome talk guys i hope you enjoyed as much as i did let's get right to it daniel thank you so much for being on with us today man
1: appreciate you having me here jay
0: Yeah, so listen, man, we're going to talk force plates and we're going to talk force decks today. So let's get right to it. Let's uh, give people a little rundown of what you're doing and what you're seeing and, and let's go from there.
1: Sure, I'd like to kind of give a little bit of uh, deference, as it were, to uh, Dr. Cohen and to Dr. Graham Smith. As it's like to me, it's like I hope that I'm able to help their message resonate, like with practitioners and coaches and sports scientists, as far as like what our intent is as an organization. Because I very much, I, I hope that I. In so many ways represent and uh, that that I echo that in the way that I deliver it. I certainly don't want to make it about me, although I do consider myself to be a a main contributor to the organization. Uh, So Force stacks, like basically dual force platform technology, software, hardware solutions where we're able to integrate with other models and other units uh, from the force platform perspective. And then the software is basically meant to be to exist within the applied setting, with applications that can be used within research as well. So how somebody chooses to narrow in on that really represents their system and not and not ours, right? Like we always try to match what I'll refer to as the performance context, right? Like what is their challenge as an organization? What is it they're trying to gain more clarity on? And then how is it that force platforms and diagnostics can help to uh, to achieve that? No,
0: so that's – that is some interesting and intriguing stuff in a direction that so many of us are looking to go into, mm-hmm. because there are so many different things going on, and you've just did, you wrote a couple papers involving this. Right. Uh, the principal one on force platforms. One of them was more of a
1: volleyball kind of an integration of how a system like that works, as far as less tests and more data, and then micro leading macro. You know, some of the language there is is I think is kind of in the backdrop. It's kind of you can you can you can filter that out as it were. Uh, and the other paper was reactor strength index, reactor strength index modified, and flight time contraction time as monitoring tools published in the Journal of Australian Strength and Conditioning. And that one was centered on the R. SI mod and flight time contraction time as being counter movement jump metrics and then reactive strength index as the drop jump test The classic reactive strength test and then how you could use those and coordinate tests and tests outside of those tests in an applied setting It was a it was a from the field perspective for the journal of all strength, strength and conditioning Which again is kind of a unique space that uh, that journal provides in that in that case It was like it wasn't quite a lit review because it wasn't as much as a for and against and just giving a wide view of the topic it was more like hey this is how people are using this in the field this is the research that supports it and this is why metrics like these will prove to be important now and going into the future
0: yes and then when we're talking metrics Mm -hmm. we're talking about things that can help drive conversations and answer questions and the one thing that i always bring up to people when we talk about bringing in technology or adding another tool to the toolbox is Mm -hmm. What questions are you trying to answer or what information are you trying to gather? So when we're looking at what these pieces can do and what the software and the technology can do, what are some starting points for coaches where there would be answers for questions that they would have?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll just lead with the RSI mod metric because that's one that, you know, some people can be critical of for a couple of reasons. So, RSI mod, the way that we refer to it is a first layer measure for efficiency, which just means it's how high you jumped and how long it took you to jump, which is the same thing like RSI, except for the RSI is considered fast stretch shortening cycle. So, the characteristics of the fast stretch shortening cycle are going to be different. And probably more the easiest comparison I use is in like in maximal velocity sprinting, if you look at a sprint mod, Model. And then RSI mod would be more consistent with the longer contact times and the lower angles of the, uh, the acceleration phase of sprinting. So essentially you're looking at a complementary space between those two metrics and that would tell you which is something that you've seen in programming from good coaches forever that those characteristics can be mo- monitored and and modeled and applied over, from a longitudinal perspective, that that's a real sequential consideration for how you'd use those things. Beyond that, you can look at uh, like Dr. Sophia Nymphius, who is one of my mentors and uh, was, uh, I studied under it with the masters in, at Edith Cowan in strength and conditioning. Uh, she has a great chapter in the new Developing Power book for, from the NSCA that talks about differentiators and how you could have two comparable athletes who have power exactly the same, but that force velocity relationship that underpins it is going to come from a different space. So one athlete, which is we've seen in JB Moran and Pierce Amazino's work as well, is you'll see force dominance and others you'll see velocity dominance. And sometimes there's perfectly good reasons why that will exist. And other times you're going to look at it. And what kind of, I kind of alluded to before when we jumped on the call was, From a longitudinal perspective, we have your characteristics, your current characteristics, and then we have a performance target and how we reconcile that space. It just means that you can be a little more targeted regarding what your focus of their training content is. And that's, you can do that across like the, the, the main thing is with force plates is it's not just about the counter movement jump test. It's about ground reaction force and the ways that we apply force into the ground, whether that's through upper body testing or posterior chain or hamstrings or via jump tests and jump protocols uh testing batteries that you can use and then how you filter that to make sense of all that information because it will give you heaps of data is is based on what your needs are right like how you know some people within our system we have the dashboard where they can look at four performance metrics and four metrics specific to asymmetry relationships as far as left and right leg or left arm and right arm uh or you can go more into more depth via the results table or looking even at the squiggly lines, as Dr. Lake uh, refers to it as on via the raw data view of, you know, what the way that I put it is outside of the jump itself. That's what that looks like from a force, velocity and power perspective.
0: No, and that's awesome. So let's back up real quick and let's talk about the dashboards. Let's talk about what's there and let's talk about why those are there and why they're okay. important sure so the dashboards are essentially
1: like within our system you can customize the dashboard to look at exactly what you want to look at so some of the more hardcore are always like oh, I want to see impulse I want to see the force time relationship I want to see you know uh, those characteristics and then you can look at those across different time windows and then the main thing I think from our perspective is that customization allows you to look at characteristics that are going to vary slightly based on the performance tests itself so the isometric test you'll want to look at different characteristics and different metrics than you'll want to look at on a counter movement jump. And that's that kind of first layer filter that you can get a view. And my recommendation most often is based on who you're wanting to speak. Uh, the language of that's that should dictate the way that you set up your dashboard and so for athletes the rsi mod measure is it's in meters per second so it's a pretty easy talking point so you can use jump height rsi mod and then choose whether that's impulse or eccentric specific characteristics like eccentric mean power or eccentric decel rate of force development things things in, li- in line with that that will uh, allow practitioners to kind of look at whether it's more of a a specific timing or specific phase of the contraction, like I said, eccentric or concentric, or whether it's more outcome-based, like uh, jump height and uh, impulse or power.
0: Awesome. So then, the first two you picked to add in were the two eccentric components. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming since you picked those first, that there's a reason to that. Why do you feel those are special?
1: One hundred percent. Like so, for us and. I think for the way that the literature, like Dr. McMahon's group out of the uh, University of Salford has a recent paper that talks about the RSI mod metric and the way the characteristics differentiate themselves amongst, uh, I believe it was rugby athletes with higher RSI mod versus lower R- RSI mod. And there is, there's absolutely in the Caldeet's way of, you know, triphasic. The thing with Caldeet's work is is what I tell people that what should echo and complement that perspective is that what you see in eccentric, isometric and concentric uh phase is is there's a resonance that occurs with the uh with force velocity and power characteristics. So basically higher jumpers from a rugby perspective in this paper jumped with greater negative velocity and basically ramping up more force in the eccentric phase, which is going to give them a greater response, essentially greater contractile capability going into the concentric phase. So the curve shape is much more distinct is much more characteristic in terms of the, the, the width and the height of it. And that's, uh, in so many ways it's a sequential consideration right and then how you choose which i've speculated on a fair amount uh like they actually mentioned in that paper that they would not recommend using the rsi mon metric as an acute way of manipulating somebody's jump programming but that's exactly what i've done with jumping athletes and track and field and volleyball and basketball for i mean for years as a coach before i was working with force plates and i've tried to navigate that safely because the context with certain athletes, yeah, it can be inappropriate, you know, depending on what your 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 job profile was, like whether you're you know, in some sports, I think strength condition coaches are th- their main role is probably navigating load monitoring. And in other sports you're looking at highlighting strength and power and performance characteristics and then how you have to reconcile that space for strength and condition coaches would probably be different than for sport scientists who are probably going to try to have that ecological validity where they're just essentially you know keeping an eye on things uh and not generating interference but just trying to get as 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 good of a view without manipulating or creating that observer effect uh as possible
0: no yeah and and that's that's really interesting. It's looking at that stuff and how it can qualify where you are mm-hmm. as a coach. Um, and now you said you navigated that carefully.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So they found that this wasn't something that they would recommend, but you mm-hmm. found some success with it. Absolutely. So what, what did
1: you find that was successful? So my thing uh the the large body of my work is within volleyball and with those athletes as jumpers it basically was looking at jump uh The way that people distribute jumping volume and knowing that volleyball, like people are always like, oh, volleyball athletes jump a ton. Like, why would you have them jumping more? And it's like, well, it's not always about jumping, especially within the sport. Sometimes it's about a characteristic, which if we're talking about the CMJ and force platforms, a lot of times we're like, it's not even about jumping. It's about it's about a, a body angles and positions that closely mirror and reflect the, uh, the characteristics of weight room performance, right? Like what we're testing is how you generate force and velocity unloaded in this case. And then that has a relationship with how strong and powerful athletes are. Like we know that from a large body of research and then reconciling that space is something that we can, we can, we can use that information successfully, uh, from a force platform perspective, or just from just, you know, just from basic tests, like one RMS, et cetera, that people have always done. The difference is from an efficiency standpoint, If you do find that the eccentric power characteristic, for instance, that we're basically talking about high negative velocity, uh, so a more rapid unloading characteristic, going down into the downward phase of, the, of a jump, and then that essentially creating greater braking forces from that bottom position. Well, in so many ways, you're looking at, like, again, referencing Kal work, well, that eccentric force being prevalent more early in your training phase, and then moving towards isometric and concentric performance, except for there's a space there where if you consider the negative velocity perspective, that you're actually looking at some uh, a, a characteristic more consistent with deceleration within the sport, which is it's not just uh, a slow, high force perspective. It's going to be can you create that deceleration with speed and close and angles, as my friend Charlie Weingroff puts it, to absorb and adapt to stress, right? So that should occur like we talk about the load velocity uh, continuum and surfing the curve, as it were, via Dr. Brad DeWeese. Uh, When they talk about that, there's research that supports that how you do that with unloaded movements is going to be different than as you add the coordination requirement of additional loads, let's say 25, 50, 75% body mass which is uh, loads that, you know, those absolute loads that are used in the scientific literature a lot. When you're looking at those relationships, those characteristics from a knee joint, ankle joint, hip joint, they're not always the same thing as net power. So how you coordinate that power collectively, certain loads will expose specific joints in a different way. And you have to look at that. And that's one of those classic lines in strength and conditioning of, you know, you treat heavyweights like they're like they're light and lightweights like they're heavy. Like that's basically the perspective is to approach each load with excellence and then to allow that performance
0: characteristic to emerge. No, 100%. I love that. That's fantastic. And I think that connecting the dots in a sense of it being about, not about so much completely what you're looking at, because it is about Mm -hmm. what you're looking at, but it's right. about looking at what you did impacting what you're looking at. I think is like where a lot of people miss the forest through the trees.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then there are, are there specific tests that uh, other organizations and then certain users are using to take either force platform data further. For platform, force platform testing further or they're using that to drive programming in other areas just based on critical thinking, which is just the, the, like we have a practitioner in uh, the Premier League, Ben Ashworth of Arsenal who's done some tremendous testing on long lever shoulder positions, so essentially like the the the, the Y and the, the T positions, the shoulder joint, and using isometric testing to expose that joint in a way that it's challenged for, for him, the support he was asked was with rugby and baseball, and then using that and and but that driven on the backbone of what's been done with posterior chain testing with cmj testing and with isometric testing of the hamstrings and through other regions knowing that it it essentially represents gold standard for what we're trying to look at which we always use the line of less testing more data right like you can do why do 10 tests to gather the information that you can get from one test if that's your critical link as far as uh how somebody's going to, uh, not only how much force, but how they're getting there, right? Like the same ex- relationship that exists from a training load monitoring perspective exists in acute performance of saying like, well, if somebody jumps high, then but they jump slow, and we've got somebody else who jumps just as high, but they do it in half the time, well, that's a differentiator. And that's essentially what you're really trying to look at. And then the going beyond that, Ben's work uh, with, uh, he, he was one of the users, he, so he started out with the EIS working with judo, and then was asked to provide some support. Again, he's an, he's at Arsenal, but uh, what what they found was that there's a relationship with the upper body as far as load transfer, and that they could use that to essentially, you know, I always put it as building a case, right? Like, would you take this case to trial if you were to defend either this athlete or this system, right? So, having more objective feedback on what that testing actually entails, in his case. There was a relationship with load transfer across the shoulder girdle into the core and into the posterior chain as far as pelvis, pelvic dynamics and that he was able to, to use that information to better guide training in their environment, which is just fantastic to see work like that extending on, you know, just looking at counter movement jumps on a
0: force platform. No, yeah, that's freaking – that's fascinating because, you know, you would think that when you're going back and just like running through the old Myers Anatomy trains that that's how that would work. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's pretty neat to hear that it actually does work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, uh, like that's something that again is, is, uh, a lot of times, like I think people, it's a disservice to just, you know, look at force platforms and just look at jump height because there is, there's, there's, there's perfectly good reasons why people will, you know, like be imbalanced, as it were, from a force and velocity perspective. So you're talking about really one element of what it means to build the case, as it were. Uh, Carl Wells is another practitioner, I I believe, out of the UK, although I'm not as familiar, but he's done some work on return-to-play models, integrating force platform testing, and their load monitoring progression, and more specific orthopedic tests, and, you know, kind of typical return-to-play platforms where they're looking at those same characteristics. And it's all very encouraging to see that kind of work coming to fruition. And it kind of represents that space where classic force platform people are more like, well, that's not really what the research supports. But in the applied setting, you know, it's just about making better decisions, right? As David Tenney always points out.
0: No, 100%. And again, it's like what I see is a lot of people buy tech, software, whatever it may be, to kind of keep up with the Joneses, but they don't understand what mm-hmm. they're actually looking at or looking for if they're looking at anything, to be honest, right, right, you know, and, um, you know, to sit here and, and have these different approaches with it. Another question to ask is the return to play stuff and the asymmetry Mm -hmm. stuff, which Mm -hmm. is extremely unique because it's two platforms, not one that you guys utilize. Exactly. Look at that. And it also allows for some, some interesting ways to look at, You know, when when bad things happen because they unfortunately do with kids and they do get dinged up, them coming back in the field more prepared. Um, Absolutely. I think that this is another good point to, to start to kind of wrap about here.
1: It's a fantastic point, and I'm glad you brought it up because Dr. Cohen would kill me if he knew that I – because that's his thing is the asymmetries. And and so – and I definitely – I get fired up about the performance profiling stuff. That's kind of more been my space. But yeah, so you can get that information. We've got lots of data, lots of case studies, and then lots of uh, uh, practitioners who have used – their own model and then communication with us and then, uh, athletes that, that we have just from, from, uh, from users again, excuse me for that little derailment, but, uh, yeah, we have it where we'll see that certain characteristics, like, uh, one thing is, is that the landings tend to expose from what we've seen athletes are able to sync up the coordination of the jump pretty well but where the landing phase becomes key is that that in our experience exposes those asymmetry relationships because there's that slight point where they're going to whatever, uh, imbalance they represented on the jump is going to be amplified with the demands of what's essentially, you know, a plyometric characteristic, right? Like high eccentric force, high negative velocity on a landing coming back into the ground. And so that's something where it tends to expose those athletes more. And even subconsciously where they're going to unload that that limited leg, or maybe it's not that they need to unload it, is that they don't have any room to create any deceleration with that leg. So then when you're looking at some of those characteristics from a landing force and from an eccentric perspective that they're really doing if it's let's say it's a a a thousand arbitrary units of whatever metric we're looking at they're doing 750 on one leg it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize that that's probably going to go beyond you multiply that by a couple hundred repetitions that that's that's going to end up in a in a bad place
0: yeah you know and like when you take a step further and i've talked about this with a few people um and i actually Eric was just on, a couple of weeks ago, Eric Helland from mm-hmm. Wisconsin, and he and I actually were talking about this up in Chicago, or not in Chicago, up in Boston at, at Art Horn's old BSMPG. Um, the thing that I like, selfishly, other than the performance metrics, because obviously that's clutch, mm-hmm. is we always talk about these return-to-play protocols where it'll be like, your hop stop of your bad leg needs to be 95% of your good leg. I mean, mm-hmm. I just made that up. I don't know if that's what it is or not. Right. But what happens if you were so detrained that your right leg's hop stop like sucks compared to what it was anyway? Right. So now you're just, you know, it's just garbage on garbage and you're sending a kid back. I mean, based off really, what is just like an arbitrary number, as opposed right. to this is where they were before,
1: right? Right. And then you know, for me, from a subjective perspective, I always tell people, well, what does that actually look like? Because a lot of us, with our eyes, like Matt Jordan's research comes to mind with the kinetic impulse asymmetry index. Like when you see those fifteen twenty percent asymmetries in the, the in the landing phase for for his research is. uh, That or actually, no, that was in the eccentric phase. When you see that 15, 20 percent, that was eccentric impulse, I believe uh, that looks bad, right? Like, but there's a subtlety to how they're getting there. That's, you know, you you can probably you can see that coming right as a coach. Like you can see if somebody's, you know, offloading as it were, and then that's going to increase in severity as they're supposed to load. And then there's the weakness relationship, which is, yeah, weaker athletes are going to be less robust and you're going to have like whatever their characteristics are that you're saying you want 90 percent of that. It's all bad. And then you have the second layer, which is that somebody who has an asymmetry without being exposed on the fatigue side, that you may not realize that you have a problem until that, that whether it's acute or chronic fatigue, until that relationship changes significantly. There, There's one athlete we have a case study on where they had a pretty significant asymmetry and were perfectly fine on one match a week. Well, they move up to senior level and the next thing you know, now they've got two matches most weeks and then it doesn't take more than a month before they're injured. And it's one of those things where, yeah, retroactively you can see that coming, like you'd have to be blind not to. Uh, but, you know, like that's that that just shows you that sometimes it's not as simple as, as uh, a basic asymmetry, but also that that asymmetry space is it takes some work to navigate that and to build that case, as it were, like a cross test. So maybe the CMJ is your first layer, and then you're just looking at standard deviations and from an asymmetry perspective. And then the next layer might be a hop and stop. Or it might be a specific performance test that's closer to the characteristics of their sport. And how you coordinate that in your setting is based on, you know, what your team looks like. Uh, That's probably the fairest way of uh, presenting that.
0: No. uh, But as simple as that addition is, that's a huge addition.
1: It is, yeah.
0: You know, because now it's like, I, I do, I get so... don't know maybe caught up is a word i'm looking for that it's like we're we're testing them after you you cut them open and Mm -hmm. put something where it wasn't before based on a leg that was not functioning the normal way it would Mm -hmm. because they were crutching with the other one like it just doesn't make sense to me yeah and then and, and and some of that
1: too is is I think is uh, there's the asymmetry relationship where that's going to vary some based on data that we've seen between the Premier League and then comparing that with Matt Jordan's data with Alpine skiers that – the asymmetry is going to be different for each sport, and then they're going to be exposed in a different way based on competition schedules. And then, so some things that you might think are an immediate issue, or you might not think are an issue, when you change that space you're working within, then that's that could be a problem immediately. And that's something that, as strength and condition coaches, it's it's better to uh, you know trust but verify, as it were, is to make sure that you have you know that paper trail that points that gives you some evidence moving forward. Maybe you don't catch everything, and you have some unfortunate circumstance fall on an athlete but you know in the future again it's just that you're just trying to make better decisions and you know having a little bit more width in your data will help that but that context and how you build that depth is based on your sensitivity to your athlete's needs and your coach's needs and and how that exists for you
0: so how does that sensitivity change sport to sport then because you know like if you look at it like at the college level you're gonna have some soccer players who can do everything with their right foot But their left foot's just a pogo stick. Mm -hmm. You know, like if they touch the ball, it looks like, you know, it looks like messy with their right leg and then, you know, donkey from Shrek with their left foot. So when when people who are so limb dominant just based on how they play, how -hmm. does that impulse change and how can you determine whether that's just sport or individual related to how they play or the position versus injury prediction?
1: So the body of research that's most relevant to that is from Dr. Graham Smith, who's one of the co-founders for four or I'm sure that there's other research available. That's just what like in my discussions with him, is that what I was pointed to? And it's it's a significant body of work based on his his uh, work at Aspire, where he is in Qatar, uh, they th- th- so th- and again, this is something where there are going to be critics to this approach who probably will be like, oh, you know, this is the way that we do it, and uh, we've got this really extensive testing. Well, the the first layer from his research that they showed that was significant was they took athletes and a large group of athletes in sports, and what they found was that the first layer for asymmetries, because yeah, you'll get these percentage changes where one athlete's fifteen percent asymmetry, one athlete's seven percent, and you've got these huge percentages changes when they do one test to the next test, and you're like, it's hard to interpret that as not just noise, right? Like, and there is a fair amount of noise within that space. So the way that his, the method that his research points us to is you, you first start with your population. So let's say if it's men's basketball, and then you do your testing for your team, And then the first thing you'll want to do is if there's any athletes who are, let's say, a half a standard deviation to a full standard deviation away from the norm, from an asymmetry perspective, that's your first red flag, but... The second layer to that might be with your sports medicine team of what they're seeing from uh, a performance test or from an orthopedic test perspective. And then, again, building that case within your organization based on what your tools – what the available tools are. Not uh, – not uh, like I would say is, is – Force platforms, like depending on how extensive your testing battery can give you a lot of information regarding posterior chain, hamstring, lower body, upper body. But if you're not doing all of those tests or if you haven't committed to that process yet, then you can do that with your team through other methods. It's just a matter of, of what kind of efficiency, like, or what kind of, you know, how many people are on your team even. Like for a single practitioner strength conditioning coach, you might just have to do CMJs and then maybe a single leg land and hold. Uh, and then somebody, they might choose to do a functional movement screen along with that, where if you've got say motion capture and if you've got force plates and if you got a uh, sports med physio available, then you're probably going to want it to be more extensive and as well as more collaborative.
0: Oh yeah. A hundred percent, especially when you're talking about the return to play stuff, you know, mm. it's, it has to be more collaborative. 100%. So let's, let's get out of here with this. And this is a selfish question Mm -hmm. because we were going to talk about this more later, but this this is fire right now, so I want to keep this going. You're starting with the four stacks. You're starting with the data. What's the first question you ask coaches that are going to start working with them? Why do you ask that question? And where, when they ask you, where should I start, do you start Mm -hmm. them when it comes to looking at data?
1: So my the way that I view my current role with four Sticks, with coaches and then the way that I view the process overall of developing athletes and, you know, to a certain extent, developing your team because I view leadership as a serious responsibility is I use two questions from General Stanley McChrystal, which are he uses the word command because he's a commander. But I use the word support because that's my job is support. So I see who do they need to be? What do they need to do? And how do I best support them to do that? And if it's a coach, then I want to know. What do they need to do? What's the performance target? What are our current characteristics? And then we want to look at some of those behaviors within that space. And some of that, sometimes not my responsibility, but, you know, as we've discussed here, I hope it's come across that it's, it's meant to be more comprehensive and coordinative and collaborative than, uh, than just looking at it and trying to make the whole thing about force platforms, right? Like I happen to have a strong belief that you can gain, again, a tremendous amount of data and insight into your athlete's performance uh, and that you can use that to drive better decision making through your uh, your team. But how you choose to navigate that and choose to include force platforms depends on, you know, what your context is and even what your buy-in is. If somebody's thinking like, Hey, we want to get rolling with this, but we want to keep it just like, so I I would say probably 80 to 90% of our users function within the four dashboards. And then within just an Excel export, and then the people who are using APIs and going beyond that, you know, that represents another layer and another, another challenge from a collaboration perspective. But, you know, people are, people are embracing that challenge to, to interpret that data successfully and that's something that you know I would fully encourage and support.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So now where can they find more info? What are they going to find there? And let's get out with that.
1: Yeah, so forstex.com and then at forestex is the Twitter and I believe Instagram handle, although we are definitely I think we're we're more user based as far as our dialogue and feedback. We're definitely not like blowing Twitter up with, you know, force platform tweets and whatnot, like about that. It's at this point, I think we have, uh, 50% of the teams in the premier league. And then we've got a couple NFL teams, NBA teams, and we're, we're engaged with that dialogue, NCAA programs. Like that's, that's been encouraging to see that growth in the US. I was, I was actually, so my role has kind of grown in force where I started out as a user. I was the, the, the second, User, I believe, in the U.S. Dr. Cohen could correct me if that's not right. I think I was right after the Montreal Canadiens, and then that's that's kind of where things have led for me personally. But mostly because Dr. Cohen has been really great and a a fantastic uh, leader for me in in terms of giving me direction as for initially starting out as a user and now uh, from a from a, a contributor to the team.
0: Yeah, man. Well, listen. This is absolutely killer stuff. I can't wait to get this up. People are going to love it, man. I can't thank you enough for spending the time and talking with us today, Daniel.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. We're looking forward to participating in the, in the
0: seminar here in a couple weeks. Yeah, man. So get down here, y'all. Richmond, Virginia, July 21st and 22nd. It's going to be uh, an absolutely fantastic weekend. I mean, dude, we've got... <laughs> the sponsors are even freaking crazy smart. It's absolutely awesome, man. I, I can't wait to have you here, bro. It's going to be an absolute blast. yeah man well thank you very much and we'll be in touch real soon yeah cheers and a huge thanks again to Forstex daniel martinez for spending the time with us today guys you know a, a person who's out there just trying to help coaches coach better and a company that's trying to help us find better data and better information to provide a better training stimulus for the athletes we work with i'm really excited to work with these guys Uh, I'm super stoked that they're going to be here in Richmond, Virginia, July 21st and 22nd for the seminar. But I'm even more excited to add them into our weight rooms to help us drive better decisions for the student-athletes we work with. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Any thoughts, questions, comments, leave them below. Guys, Daniel is an open book and a dude who helps so many people with so many questions when it comes to the jumping and the force plates, and all of those things, you know, he was referenced by Nick Higgins in the podcast a few weeks back, and you know, he's a guy that a lot of people look to because of the work he's done, as one of those people that this is the guy you go to for questions. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy it, share it through the social media of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, again, just trying to get the best information possible out to all the great coaches out there. And, guys, thank you again for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.